Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Amen. Good morning. Indeed, there is a war for our souls. Let's pray. Father God, you are awesome. You are able to keep us in the midst of this fiery battle, this spiritual warfare that goes on between you and Satan for the souls of men. And I pray today that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and open our hearts to the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of your word, give us understanding as only your Holy Spirit can give it to us, Lord God, that we would lay aside our own preconceived ideas, notions, legalisms, parameters, uh, former teachings, pro- programming, and receive with, uh, with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Father God, that you've already pretty much downloaded the truth into us through your spirit, bearing witness with our spirit all the time, and yet we don't seem to realize that. So I pray today that you'd give us the understanding so we can walk with confidence, with assurance, with authority in your word and not be confused by what and how it seems to present itself as a paradox and come uh, become confusing to those who read it and want to follow it. And Lord, I pray today that you would uh, protect us with the shields of God, the divine shields of protection to keep us from the radiation, the EMFs, the, uh, the frequency alterations that Satan would try to do to our brains and cause us to go crazy or cause us to lose focus, Father God, that you protect us with the shields of God and the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed, not, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. And so I ask you to give us wisdom now, and we ask that wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning. Amen. I see you're, good morning. I see you're here. I'm here. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So As what a, are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about... Uh, the, the divine boundaries. The divine boundaries. And fine lines. And divine boundaries and fine lines. You know, boundaries is, is kind of a big buzzword among yeah. know, Christianity yeah, these yeah. days. You know, boundaries and balance. About yeah, bond, yeah, yeah. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. But really, you know, if you, you really look at it from the point of, if you look back in, in the old the Jewish religion, mm-hmm. okay, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had, there were, there were, there was the law of God, right? There were the Ten Commandments, and then, there, then they added, you know, 10,000 other little regulations. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to set all these boundaries, uh, minute details yeah. of behavior and sure. practice yeah. to set boundaries, just to make sure mm-hmm. that we were doing everything just right. But when Jesus comes along, he says, you know, you're doing everything you can to make sure you're doing everything just right. But you are so wrong, you're missing the whole point. Yeah, it's interesting. And he's speaking of that in Matthew um, chapter seven. Oh, I mean, sorry. Let's see. Where is it? He says, um, you are like children sitting in the marketplace, you know, and you call to your uh, let's see. That's Matthew eleven 16. Let's look at it for a minute. He says, I'm com- he's comparing that generation to children who are sitting in the marketplace kind of trying to think up something to do. He says, what shall I say? Shall I like in this generation is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions saying, this is Matthew 11 verse 16. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament for John came neither eating nor drinking. And you say he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking. And they say, look, a gluttonous man, a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. So you're seeing here that Jesus is saying, you guys are just being influenced by whatever influences you. And you don't have any, um, you know, on one hand, Jesus came uh, joining them in some sort of a way, eating and drinking with the sinners and, the, and, and, you know, ministering to them. And they said, he's a gluttonous man and a wine bibber. On the other hand, John the Baptist isolated himself in the, in the wilderness and didn't eat anything but locusts and honey. And they said, he's crazy. He's got a demon. So in other words, whatever they were using as a, a tool of assessment or for uh, making things clear was actually bringing them into more confusion. So he, and you know what? We're still a lot like that, even in our pursuit of God. You know, we have fads. We have, um, you know, we've had religious fads. We've had religious fads. We've had, you know, name it, claim it fads. We've had all kinds of, you know, you know, 
emphasis emphasis on this or that. And yeah, kind church, of, church growth fads. Yeah, yeah. Boundary fads. Yeah. Faith fads. Uh, spiritual warfare fads. Yeah. All kinds of things that are fads. So some of these things, they're they're, they're part of the the operation of the kingdom of God, but but these fads just run right through, and everybody says, you know, I have to I have to go along with the fad, otherwise I'm just going to well, miss the boat. And the contrary to that is, you know, and there's always a heads and a tails to everything, every argument, every way to present something, which makes it all about conflict. But when you're looking then as the fads go on and on, people are, you know, relegating themselves to looking for some divine boundary or some fine line or some religious, you know, parameters that uh, will help them to live righteously. And of course, Satan uses that to set up all, all the more confusion. How many, you know, say, I don't understand the word of God. It's hard to understand. It doesn't make sense. It seems like it's contradictory. And I think today we're going to be talking about some of that contradictions, the paradoxes, um, you know, because so many times what we're trying to do is make the word of God make sense, like like a math problem. You want to solve it. You want to get to the bottom. You want a straight line. You want to, uh, you know, make it always say the same thing. But it's like it's like trying to make one side of the coin be both heads and tails. It just does not work. Well, sometimes what we what we want to do is is make try to conform the word of God to fit our lifestyles, to rationalize well, mm-hmm. or justify our lifestyle, rather than having the word of God conform us uh, to it. We want yeah, the word of true. God to we want to conform the word of God to us. Right, and so kind of in a way, we kind of are always looking for a quick fix, a magical. Uh, solution. Formula. Of, yeah, formula. Um, Three but, well, steps, four steps, five yeah, steps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The magical fine line of, you know, and so it, we've, we've kind of come up with some very legalistic ways of rendering the word of God, which have been become very deadly. Jesus said the, the spirit gives life, but the, the letter of the law kills. And if Satan can get us to set up a lot of legalistic, mag, magical or imaginary boundaries, uh, and then cause us to feel like we've transgressed or stepped over those boundaries and sinned. He has, he's got a full case against us then for guilt and condemnation. And a lot of those boundaries and uh, transgressions that you think you're guilty of aren't even in God's book of transgressions, but there are, there is sin is transgressing the law. That is true. It's walking across, it's stepping, it's disobeying, but really the, the commandments of God are very simple. But, and, you know, you have to go back to the simple and understand the fruit of something before you can really render it correctly. Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. So today we're going to be looking at some paradoxical kind of issues and, re- and finding out what time it is. What's the bottom line? What's the fruit of this thing? And does it, does it go, uh, uh, does it agree with the basic law of God, which is to love? Well, one of the paradoxes in the scriptures is, is this whole concept of judging. Yes. Judging. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, Sometimes, you know, we're, we're at a place now where someone has said that, you know, John 3.16 used to be, you know, for God so loved the world that mm-hmm. he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was the that was the main scripture that everybody knew. Now, in our day, mm-hmm. the main scripture that people seem to know is that judge not lest you be judged. Yes. In other words, some people, if they if they are are, are corrected on something that they're doing that's evil. They'll say, Oh, you're judging me. And it's like, we have this, it's like we have no authority. We should just let everybody do their thing, no matter what it is, just accept, be accepting and tolerant of of everybody, everything. That is the spirit of the world. That's Mm -hmm. the spirit of society today in America, particularly, and, and, and other nations as well. Yeah. And also it's become the spirit of the church that we just Mm kind of say, Everything is okay. Yeah. You know, Jesus, Jesus loves you. We love you. We don't want to say anything. All to doctrines are you. okay in the same. God understands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Grace covers it all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's no big deal. But um, we do get into a lot of confusion with this area about judging. <laughs> and, fruit, and that's what we want to address. And the fruit of confusion today. is from hell. So, therefore, that's a good way to discern what's really going on with that masterpiece of diabolical argument that so many people get caught up into but remember remember what uh, paul said to timothy he says when he were a child he says in timothy chapter uh second timothy chapter three um verse uh let's see 
Mm-mm-mm. Well, let's start with 13 because that's an interesting verse. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So their whole point is to use the word of God to deceive others into uh, getting confused, getting frustrated, trying to find that magical legalistic fine line. Or on the other side of it, as you said, you know, it's all about whatever you want to do because God forgives and grace covers it all, blah, blah, blah. If you say, he says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing that from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Then verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for for several different things, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work or every everything that faces you. So the word of God is, is for many. It's a multi-purposed thing. It's not for one thing. It's not for just bringing people into judgment or making them behave themselves. It is for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness that we may be tr- truly thoroughly furnished. And so as you look through the word of God and you look at, at Jesus and his encounters with the Pharisees who were holding this line, believing they had some divine boundary going on, that that Jesus was showing them the foolishness of that boundary. But let's go back to look at Matthew 7 for a minute. You were kind of re- referring to that, judge not lest you be judged. This does seem to be Satan's favorite scripture these days for holding people in, uh, in line, holding them. And then, of course, getting us to use, still operate under the, the law, which was only there to prove to people that they couldn't keep the law, that they were going to be sinners. And Satan wants to con- convince us that we cannot keep the law, that we're transgressors, because he knows the truth that where there is law, there is transgression. And where there is transgression, there is an opportunity for him to implicate us as guilty and unforgiven. And then there is another opportunity for him to present a legalistic form of the law for us to try to be good, be perfect. And then another opportunity for Satan to get us to cause us to fail and become very discouraged. So it all works in Satan's favor. The law all works in Satan's favor. The only thing that delivers us from the law is what Christ redefined the law to be, and that is to love and forgive. So well, the, the scripture ahead. in Matthew 7, it's not only, you know, it's not really, there's times where it is used because of people trying to just to keep all the rules, do everything just perfect mm-hmm. and everything. But it's also used in our day to justify lawlessness. That's right. That we can just, you know, everybody, whatever you want to do right. is okay. And, and woe unto you. Everything you, is okay mm-hmm. except for someone that points to the word of God as a standard. That's not okay. Well, and That's the spirit of the age in which we're living. And the, the word of God must be rightly divided. It's a double, it's a two-edged sword. And so when people are, but, but going back to what Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. So when, when what you're using the word of God to do renders down or reduces down, as you did in math and your fractions, if it reduces down to things that are not from heaven, um, judging, if it reduces down to bitterness, uh, self-righteousness, um, self-justification, or endorsing what is obviously very evil, if it, reduce, it reduces down to that, it's a misuse of the word of God, so don't be confused by it, because Satan himself can use the word of God. Um, for example, I just want to, you know, the, the bare bones, if you reduce things down to what they're really all about, and you, you scrape away all the euphemisms, and you scrape away all of the, the, the niceties, and the, and the new ways of saying things, you know, using better language, more politically correct ways of saying things, uh, covering up what's really the truth and going on. If you scrape all that away and you look at what people are standing for these days, um, the shocking truth, and I'm going to just go here for just one minute. I'm not going to bear you, you know, wear you out with this, but if you re- are using the word of God to justify a behavior to, to that, that looks like love, that looks like acceptance, it looks like you know, unity, it looks like, uh, it looks like love and acceptance, but ultimately you are endorsing activities that are actually calling for the bloodshed of innocent, unborn children, perversions, assaults of the innocent in pedophilia. And that if you are actually uh, making arguments using the word of God to cover for those activities, and they, that's what it's reducing down to, 
bloodshed, and Satan then uses that bloodshed. Those are human sacrifices that Satan is using to fuel his engines, the blood of the, blood of the innocents and their sexual innocence. He is using those things because there's an agreement made with somebody who's willing to give those things, the blood of those children, the, their, their innocence, giving that over to the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of darkness then uses that agreement takes that authority and then uses that to empower himself to come against us to crush the righteous. Now, if, if you are agreeing with that kind of reasoning, you are either hoodwinked, absolutely zombified, absolutely programmed by Satan. If you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of the love of God, promoting the love of God truly and the righteousness, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, if you are promoting anything like that, there's something desperately, desperately wrong, and you have been hoodwinked. You have been captured. You may have been absolutely programmed, so you don't even hear what I'm saying. If, however, you see this, you see that what that reduces down to is the bloodshed, the simple bottom line bloodshed of innocent, unborn children, human sacrifices. If you see that, you cannot endorse that. You cannot endorse that under the counsel of love or forgiveness or anything. You have to go back to God and pray for true uh, revelation. And, and part of that is we're not going to judge those people who are doing it. We're not judging them. We're discerning, as you're going to see we're seeing in a minute here. We're, we're discerning it, and we're saying, I can have no part of that. I must stand up against that. I must declare the truth of the love of God for these people who are believing and just being deceived by a lie. And Amen. Then, and then, too, if, if, you're, if you're part of a church a fellowship or denomination that is endorsing homosexual marriage, mm-hmm. that is accepting homosexual pastors, bishops, priests, uh, transgender yeah. people that are leading, they're called to supposedly lead the people of God, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's a line there. And it's not a matter of judging. It, it, it's not a matter of condemnation. It's a matter of truth. It's a matter of God. We yeah. just read it. That the word of God is there to give us the, 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 the guidelines, mm-hmm. the, the, the rule, the standard. So we have to look at what is the standard of the word of God. You know, are, are we violating that standard? It's not a legalistic thing, but are we violating the principle uh, and the the precept that God has given to us regarding behavior, lifestyle, how the churches operate. If every if what we're doing is in clear violation of that, and, and it, it, even though it's an edict from a church denomination or you know something just from the spirit of the age, because we have to be accepting, we have to accept all kinds of things that God calls sin. Because that's love. That is not the love of Jesus. Okay. That is just absolute foolishness. It's iniquity. It's sin. And uh, we, we need to not be in that place uh, if we are in that place. Well, here's the deal, too, with that. You know, God is one God. He's a holy true God. There's a trinity to him. But, he's, but there's, when we are not honoring him as where I, there's an idolatry here. We're putting the, the ideas of men, political agendas, uh, mass hysteria, whatever we're getting, uh, the, the, the children calling in the marketplace. We, we called you to dance. You didn't dance. We were going to do a funeral dirge. You didn't do that. You know, we're trying to control one another, but the, but the, even in the old Testament, God had to set a distinct boundary and it was, it was called the law. I called, here's, the, here's what you do to worship me. Here's how you sacrifice. Here's how you sa- You don't sacrifice your children's blood. You sacrifice lambs until Jesus comes, and then his blood will suffice and finish the work. And so, but those people, because they had to believe that this one true God was the holy God, the good God, the one who wanted their best, had their best interest in mind, they had to believe that. Because, but many of them were pulled across that line of holiness and obedience into the darkness that looked like way more fun. And, and it was that idolatry that misled them. But going back to what Paul says to Timothy, he says, rightly divide the word of God. So we see now that the legalism that they were, that was actually a friend of them, that actually protected them, the, the, the schoolmaster that brought them to Christ, is now been uh, exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the finished work. And that the law itself, could not save them or justify them. So the divine line here has been the, the law, the legalism has been upgraded 
to, um, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But it's not really love if you reduce it down there to your condoning uh, bloodshed and, and, and agreements with hell, and you're thinking, and it's cast as, uh, uh, which they always do, they cast it under the, the, the cloud of love or, or patience or tolerance or unity. If you're being, if the bottom line is still the bottom line, it doesn't matter you know, what they call it. The truth is the truth. And you and I are going to have to render for that uh, a judgment because there are not only counterfeit gospels and lookalike gospels, there's also an outright attack using the very word of God to destroy the word of God from Satan's camp. Um, and so, so let's look for a minute as we've got many of these, there's many places where the word of God looks like it's a paradox, looks confusing, looks like, you know, I don't know what to do here. But let's begin in Matthew chapter um, seven. Okay. Well, Jesus said, and this is in the from the Sermon on the Mount: "Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you." And uh, so, the whole. Let's stop there for a moment. We can continue in, in a little bit. If you look at the the definitions of the word judge in Scripture. There's kind of a two-part deal. It's it's number one would be a, a condemnation or coming to a conclusion, rendering a verdict. You know what? You know I'm I'm condemning. And sometimes it's a matter of it can be a matter of a condemning, a harsh condemning, unchristlike spirit. Okay. The other part is is to be uh, to scrutinize or investigate or to interrogate, or to discern, So, if we, if we, or examine. So you, if you look at it this way, you can say it, judging can be a very condemning final verdict, at, you know, an attitude. Usually that's out of a, out of a harsh, unchristlike attitude. The uh, discerning is just simply a matter of, like you mentioned earlier, Marjorie, Mm-hmm. About you know by their fruits you yeah. shall know them. Yeah, and it's like, are you judging an apple tree because you see it standing there and it has apples on it? No, you're 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 yes, you're judging it, but you're simply discerning. You're recognizing the fruit. You're coming to a conclusion that yes, that is an apple tree. So so there's a time there's a time where we are not called upon to render uh, any kind. We're never really called to be you know, condemning, except to the point where it says the unfruitful works of right, darkness. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, have no part of the, Paul writes to Timothy and Ephesians, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Right. Bring, bring a, a correction, bring rebuke, point them out, expose them. There's a time to do that. We should not be afraid to do that, but we're not doing it with a, a condemning kind of spirit. We're just exposing what is wrong because, you know, it, it's a matter of exposing evil and then bringing in righteousness. Well, that's exactly right. Exposing evil. And many times we think there are only two players on this on the board right now. We think it's God and us. But we don't realize that a lot of times what, you know, we're afraid to judge because we're not supposed to judge. And so then we let all this mischief continue and we let all this evil continue and prevail because we're afraid that we're going to judge somebody. But the thing is, there's a third player, and that is Satan himself, his, his demonic entities, his diabolical schemes, plots, fallen angels, watchers, whatever you want to call them, angels of light, uh, religious spirits, strong men, familiar spirits. All these things are playing on this, on this, on this board in his war. And so the thing is, when you are seeing the behavior of someone, uh, whether they're, you know, picketing, rioting for the wrong cause, whatever that is, and with Jesus and John the Baptist, too, when they were trying to figure out, you know, who's got the demon and who's, you know, whatever, wine-bibber, behind the human is the demon or a lying influence or a spiritual influence. And to, we are not told to, uh, to judge the human. That's God, they're, to God, they're his servant to him. They're his problem. But we are we can judge the matter and, and without fear declare that Satan is evil, that he is wrong, that he's a he's a liar, he's a thief, he's a murderer, and to help your friend or the one who you're concerned about or the one you're afraid of judging, help them to see that they are being tempted and influenced by a very subtle spirit, 
into believing that their actions are motivated out of love when in fee, indeed their actions are promoting bloodshed and murder. Now, so the thing is, so when we understand the diabolical spiritual warfare and put the devil in the, it's insane. you can use that same understanding for any kind of conflict, whether it's with your child or your husband, or your wife, that a lot of times these humans, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. This is whole big, this, this is a three or four or 12 dimensional thing, not a two dimensional thing. It's not a legalistic thing where you can draw a line on the sand and say, now don't cross that line. If you cross that line, you're going to make God mad at you. It's, it's a very dynamic thing. This is more like a dance than it is like a line. People are still trying to you know, figure out what I should do. But the thing is, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you to know what to do. So in Jesus, in Matthew 7, 3, he says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own? Obviously, he's saying here there's a problem. Your brother needs help. He's got a speck in his eye and, you know, he can't see to get it out because it's in his eye. And you, you know, you, by the, the, the law of love, you should be wanting to help him. But if you have a plank of judgment or self-righteousness or attitude, uh, you know, entitlement, whatever, in your own eye, then a plank in your eye, you're not going to be able to see clearly to lovingly and carefully take that speck out of your brother's eye. You know, that plank in your own eye is going to hinder you. And that is, I believe, that self-righteous, I'm better than you. Uh, And that's not what the law, that's not what God's uh, ultimate final um, cause, uh, product, he isn't searching for us to be a perfect person he wants us to be a person who can humble ourselves and love one another and lay down our, our um, uh, first of all, deal with our own planks. And I think a lot of us, we, you know, we don't deal with our planks. We, we, let, we, just, we smooth it over by good deeds and self-righteousness and pointing fingers and telling God how bad everybody else is, and we don't humble ourselves. Well, Jesus told this uh, story about the Pharisee and the publican, mm-hmm. and it says at the beginning of that, uh, discussion that that Jesus presented, it was that he spoke a parable to this that uh, in in this way, for those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others, so self righteousness always leads to despising of others, and so so he's saying that you know in in Matthew seven here um, that there is an issue that we need to let's say, give heed to what the Lord, what is the Lord wanting to do in my life? Mm-hmm. There's too many, too many times that we're always looking at, we're wanting to you know, correct someone here or, or we want to um, mm-hmm. blame someone here. And it's like, he's saying, okay, let just take a look at yourself. At, at yourself. Yeah. Now, that can be a problem too. And we'll talk about that later about how, we examine ourselves. We can judge ourselves, mm-hmm. but then there's a time not to judge ourselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it's a matter of what time is it? What's the situation? Right. Exactly. It's like in Ecclesiastes chapter mm-hmm. three mm-hmm. says to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. That's right. That does not so the- mean, does not mean that there's situational ethics mm-hmm. involved that, you know, but right is always right, wrong is always wrong. But what is the time? What is the season? Jesus operated that way. Mm-hmm. There were times where he rebuked sinners. There were times where he was very tender and he reached out and healed them. And so he knew the time because why? The spirit was given without measure to him. And so he knew he, he knew how to listen he, to the he spirit. Knew, yeah. He knew he always did those things that pleased the father. And so what God calls us to do in the new covenant is to live according to the spirit. Yeah. Walk in the spirit and live according to love. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord God mm-hmm. with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Your neighbor is yourself. That's it. Follow the leading of the spirit mm-hmm. and the spirit of God will always lead right. us in conformity right. to the word of God. The, uh, right. The, the Beca- because covenant. if we look, at like you said the new covenant it's a it's a it's a relationship and in your relationship even as a parent or a spouse or whatever there's not there's not one way that's always right and you apply that way and now you're going to never make a mistake and you'll never fail and you'll never uh, have an indecisive moment with god there are no real divine boundaries except the one that he commanded and that is that you love the lord your god with all your heart and mind and strength and that you believe that jesus christ died on the cross and rose from the dead and and that's our salvation but the thing is, if you look at it, 
um, if you're looking for that divine boundary, that that that's you know that legalistic rendition of anything, you're going to run immediately. If you're trying to get one, it's it's like it's like you 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 want to advocate for one side of the torture rack, and then there's the, the other side, and it's always a contradiction. For example, um, what are the fine lines between bearing one another's burdens and and the other side of that of, of becoming enabling and codependent? Or what, what is the, the fine line or the divine boundary between praying for someone and then on the other side of that, erring into the, the field of gossip? Or what about, um, you know, uh, disciplining people on matters of moral integrity uh, and, and then restoring them? Uh, you know, what about, uh, you know, when we, you know, go the first mile, the second mile with someone, when, what time is that? Is it, when, is, when is it time then to shake the dust off? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what time is it to to uh, give someone a piece of your mind and then on the other side, holding your piece? Um, right. <laughs> there, there is no, you know, these these frustrating searches for this magical, invisible line that does not exist, a line that never was defined or declared to be even part of the word of God, a boundary, a balance. These books have been written and all they do. If you reduce boundaries and balance down, you get frustration. You say, what time? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. That's confusion. And whose job is it to enforce? It's not your job to control the boundary or the, or the balance in your own life. Did you ever try to live your life balancing on a tight w- w- wire? That is like not living. That is like one focus on not falling off that wire. That is like legalism. That's like law. That's like death. So the question then, what should I do? You know, um, is it time to let go and let God or is it time to take matters in my own hands? The Bible says submit to God, resist the devil. You know, how much is God's will? What, what does God want? What, what is, what, all of these things go back to understanding how to rightly divide the word of God. Right. And, the, and another thing, too, along with this is that a lot of times we do not we don't really know ourselves very well. We're, we're kind of blind. We tend to be blind to our own faults. And, and so the, that's why the word of God poses those things. It's just when you read the Word of God, you study it, you open your heart to the Word, it, 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 it shows you, it reproves you, it corrects you and instructs you. So, so, to he, so the Word of God really uh, works on our inner being to, mm-hmm. to change right, right, us. Right. It's to, about relationships. To change us, yeah. to, change us to mm-hmm. correct us. It's like, well, my attitude isn't right here. Wow. I, I missed something here. And it's not a matter of getting into some kind of program or formula. Mm-hmm. It's a matter, of, a matter of cleansing, instructing, correcting. The, another thing, too, related to the, the, the plank in our eye and the speck in the brother's eye, some people think, well, I have so many problems of my own. Mm-hmm. I, I am so imperfect. Who am I mm-hmm. to see if I want to correct somebody else? And it doesn't say here, well, you've got a plank in your eye, uh, get the plank out, and then don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. It says, well, that you, yeah. you've got to get to the place where you can see clearly right. to help that one. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the things, too, is like, what is our motive mm-hmm. in wanting to help someone? We see someone has a need. They're not able to see. If you have a speck in your eye, you get a piece of sawdust in your eye. You, you can't, you can't see, you know, you want to help them see how do we do that? Do we, we do it. We speak, speaking the truth in love. That's what Paul told the right. Ephesians to do. Mm-hmm. So speaking the truth and, and being able to get with them uh, and, and say, you know, here's, here's what the Lord is showing me. Here's, or, or you could just say, Hey, the spirit of God will give you the words to say, to bring, the, the correction, the encouragement, uh, the instruction that that person may need. And it's all about timing. Because, timing. because what time is it? It may be, you know, you may know a lot of truth and a lot of things you'd like to say to someone about what they're doing wrong, uh, but it may not be the right time. God may not have yet prepared them, or he may not have yet prepared you. Because I think a lot of times we go into off to correct someone, we better have prayed for them and cried out for their salvation, their soul, their deliverance, whatever, before we go and approach them. And so going back to this very, Jesus here is saying, we have a real problem. Yeah, people have specks in their eyes. People have planks in their eyes and people need to help each other to get those things out. He's saying, but the problem is that, you know, uh, it's, 
there's no line. There's no set of rules. There's no book that you can A, step A, step B, step C. It's like, it's like, first of all, it's a dynamic thing. It's about relationships. It's not about religion. It's when people feel corrected and, and judged in that correction uh, by you, they're going to resist automatically whatever it is you've said because of the way it's been said. And a lot of times this is the problem. We tell them the truth, but we don't speak the truth in love. The truth is accompanied by fear or anxiety or control or a, a message of I don't have any confidence in you. We do that with our kids all the time. You know, we're speaking to them the truth, but it's all accompanied by fear, not love. And so what do they do? They just, you know, mom doesn't think I got any, you know, she doesn't have any confidence in me. She doesn't trust me. She doesn't think I know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And so the child then turns their back on the instruction because of the method or the motives or the accompanying fear or anger. So if you're mixed, it says speaking the truth in love that they may grow up. And so if you're mixing your message to your children, your husband, your whatever, your wife, fear with anxiety, with anger, with um, judgment, then it's not going to be received. So first of all, you have to say, Lord, you know, deal with me first. So he's saying, take the plank out of your own eye. Remove first the plank in your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Jesus isn't saying it's inappropriate for you to remove a speck. He doesn't say it's inappropriate for you to correct someone. He says, but first of all, make sure that you aren't being a hypocrite yourself. You aren't being judgmental. You're not delivering your uh, assistance to them under the counsel of self-righteousness. But then in verse six, he has a, he turns the corner on this thing really quickly. And he says, um, you know, he's just talking about remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Then he says, do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Do you ever notice how Jesus turns the corner so quickly sometimes? It's like, why did he say that? I mean, he's talking about this and obviously he's saying that. And it's all kind of mushed together in the same passage. What I see here is that um, there is a time when you know the truth, when you know the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, and it's holy. But there is, is a, it's an inappropriate time to, to throw, toss that pearl, that diamond to the dog or cast it in the hog pen because it's going to be trampled. It's not going to be it's, it's going to be lost. It's going to be, you know, and you're going to be probably putting yourself in jeopardy of losing your precious revelation because you're going to come up against people who are going to mock you, laugh at you and say you're stupid. Um, a lot of times when people get saved right away in the first part of it, they'll go run to their family. They'll share this precious moment, uh, this revelation experience with someone who just is bitter and, and dis- unbelieving and discouraging. And they, it's like they're casting their wonderful event memory experience before someone who has no capability of understanding it. And so, uh, so he's also saying, on the other hand, there's a time to be quiet. There's a time to be careful that you don't cast your pearls before swine. People who don't appreciate it, they won't understand it. And, you know, those are not the people he's asking you to deal with. You know, he's dealing with people who want to get the speck removed out of their eye and not those who are, you know, self-righteous and, and already have prejudged situations. Here are some great guidelines for speck removal. Okay. Mm-hmm. He talks about in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 24 through 26. And I really think now Paul is writing to Timothy, who is really like a, a pastor of a church. He has kind of a, a pastoral role. Okay. And, uh, and this is basically the last thing that we know of that he wrote to Timothy. He says uh, uh, in second Timothy chapter three, 24 through 26, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Okay. Chapter two, honey. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Chapter okay. two. Thank you for the correction. Yeah, cause there's no... I appreciate correction. Yeah, there's no chapter, there's no verse 24 in chapter 3. Oh, so, okay. that's right. Okay. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. So two, 2 Timothy 2.24, and, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Okay, don't get into fights. Theological disputes. Big debates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But be what? Gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Oh, patient. In what? Humility. And I, and I think that King James says, in meekness, okay, correcting those who are in opposition. And King James says, who oppose themselves. If perhaps God, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, change of mind, 
change of heart, change of direction, so that they may know what? The truth. Mm -hmm. And that they may come to their senses Mm -hmm. and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. There's the spiritual dimension. There's right. the, the activity third, of the Satan. Third player. But you, mm-hmm. those verses are just, are packed. just, just jam packed. Mm-hmm. We're servants. We're not into being the arguments. We're to be gentle, teach, be patient, correct in hu- what humility, not in arrogance. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're doing it all wrong. Look at here. You know, I've got it right. Not that attitude. Mm-hmm. If perhaps God will grant them repentance, we want, we want them to change their minds. We want them to know the truth. We want them to come to their senses. And because in the situation they're in, they're in the snare of the devil. We want them to escape the snare of the devil and and, um, break that uh, captivity Mm -hmm. that has has been placed on them by by him to do his will. So so we we want them to do God's will, not the devil's will. So this is is really the whole uh, way that we are to handle this. And this is... This is, in a sense, this is judging in the sense of discerning Delivering. and examining. Okay. Yeah. This is this is not condemnation. This is this is really deliverance. This, this is, is not rendering a verdict. This is just saying, pointing out, mm-hmm. discerning what's going on, pointing out in a, in a in a in a calm, gentle, but powerful way, loving to some in a loving way. This yeah. is this, this is, is love. This is speaking the truth in love. In love, that's right. And so they can grow up. Well, uh, even in the faith, even the verses right before that, Second Timothy two twenty two, he says, "Flee also youthful lusts." A lot of people are just being still foolish. They're young; they don't know. They've never been instructed in righteousness. They've never been exposed to the truth that the maybe the depth that you have as a now a teacher. But he says, "But pursue righteousness." What would what your for them for yourself for this matter for this discussion. Here, your end, your end result is to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who are called who call upon God out of a pure heart. So the, the goal is faith, love, peace, righteousness and 23 verse 23 to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Those disputes are over legalism, over the line, over the. The, uh, the making the law, making the word of God, the will of God, all about a line or a law. And my favorite, some of my, you know, Jesus himself pointed out the absurdity in carrying the law, that line, that boundary to its uh, ultimate extreme. And when you carry something to its ultimate extreme, you also see what it is and where it came from and what's the fruit of it. So if you are drawing a boundary and your love is going to stop right here, I'm going to, this is my boundary. I'm not going to go any further. You're not going to cross this line. Uh, then you've also drawn a boundary on love. You're saying Jesus didn't draw a boundary on love and say, well, you know what? I tried to get this through to you. I told you about the kingdom of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and you spit in my face. Forget it. I'm not doing this. I'm drawing a line. Love does not draw lines. Love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never gives up. Love never fails. And love does suffer. It suffers. So in, in Matthew chapter 12, we have a very interesting confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, of course. And it starts out with Jesus and his disciples going to the grain fields on the Sabbath. And of course, they're hungry, so they're plucking some of that wheat and chewing it and, of course, getting a little um, breakfast snack, you know, their granola on the way to the synagogue. And uh, the, the Pharisees saw it. I mean, they're looking for everything. They, they, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, there's no law that says you can't pluck the grain on the Sabbath. The law says you can't harvest on the Sabbath. Probably you can't do work in that manner. These guys were walking along on their way to church, skimming the top of the grain heads. How hard is that? What is that? I mean, then he says, um, then he said, well, haven't you heard what David did when he was hungry? How he went into the temple, he entered into the house of God and ate the showbread that was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him. Whoa, only for the priests. They really violated the law. They really went. That was the ultimate. You go in and touch that holy showbread that's in the holy of holies. Um, And he says, and um, have you not read how the the priests themselves profane the, the Sabbath? They work hard. And they're blameless. They do all those sacrifices. They do a lot of butchering, a lot of manual labor on the Sabbath, and they're blameless. Um, but he says, in this place, there's one greater than the temple, or greater than the, that. He says, but here, verse 7, if you really knew what it meant, 
what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the blameless or the guiltless. So he's saying, he's saying you're using the law to judge people and they're not guilty of anything. But then we, he's taking it to the next, you know, now he's going to do the object lesson or the, the demonstration. So, of course, he's sitting there and um, he went to the synagogue. Behold, there was a man with a withered hand who sat in the front row, probably. And they asked him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? They, that was a setup question. They were looking for a way to find fault with Jesus to see if he'd, he'd actually heal on the Sabbath. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That was their question to Jesus. And they don't realize that that was really a question God had caused them to speak, to ask, so that he could answer it. And Jesus said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. He says, you've got sheep, you've got donkeys. How many of you, a sheep, is a sheep worth more than a man? How, he says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Well, priceless, you can't compare them. But they were willing to rescue a sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath or lead them off to being watered if they were hungry and thirsty and dry. But he says, and you do that, and you're not considered, you know, guilty of anything. Therefore, he says, how much more value is a man than a sheep? Look at what the law had done. It had pushed itself to the absurd point that it was not even okay, not legal to do right to heal on the Sabbath. Therefore, he says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Their question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, healing is something good, doing something good on the Sabbath. Is is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, to do something good on the Sabbath? Well, it's good to pick a sheep up out of a pit. It's good to heal a man on the Sabbath. He says, there's something greater than the Sabbath here. There's something greater than the rule here. It's the relationship. If you have your, your sheep or your friend in the pit, you say, well, I can't take you out today because um, it, I'll be defiled. I, I'll break the Sabbath and I'll, I'll put my own salvation in jeopardy. You just wait here and see if you can hang out till tomorrow. And if you live good, then I'll pull you out. And if not, oh, well, I guess you're supposed to die. Jesus is exposing the ridiculous extremes to which Absurd, these yes. boundaries yes. had been had been set. Stretched. And he said in another place, he says, Man was not made, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So mm-hmm. the Sabbath was made for, for people to take, take a break, to rest, to worship. You know, it was, it was for man. Well, and another thing that came out of this story, which comes out of our current contemporary examples as well, is that these people were being hypocritical. They were, you know, there was, they were saying two different things. They were, they were doing two different things. They were saying, you know, we're righteous, we're holy, we love God, you know, we're, you know, we've got it, you know, the law of God, we've got it down, we're walking in the law of God. And they wouldn't even keep the law of God, which was to love someone and to release that person from uh, a jeopardy or a burden at the time. So they were being hypocritical and their standards were double. And that's the same thing we see today. People who are promoting tolerance and love and don't judge and, you know, uh, blah, 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 I'm afraid and da, da, da. They are being hypocritical in what they're actually promoting. They're telling you and I that uh, we need to be tolerant, but they're not tolerant of us. Or they're telling you and I that we are judging, but they're not. But see, it's the blindness that religious self-righteousness, legalism, laws, boundaries, they all bring with them the hazard of spiritual blindness. That's what Jesus is talking about with the speck and the plank. There's a spiritual blindness there. And there, there, there's talk about, uh, you know, the, those that preach tolerance are the most intolerant of all when it comes to the truth. Well, there's the fruit. So there's forth. the fruit there's of the it. There's the fruit of it. And yeah. you look at here, what we just read, what you just read, Marjorie, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 14, Jesus heals this man. He stretches out his hand. Mm-hmm. He heals this man. And... Uh, then the Pharisees, verse 14, went out and plotted against them how they might destroy him. Yeah, so, so they didn't really want to know the answer to the question, did they? And then they wanted, they wanted to kill him. They wanted evidence. They that wanted, they, they mm-hmm. want, they were, they were, there was anger. They were just plotting to kill and destroy one well, they that, were that was just hardened. violating their little rules. Right. So, so we see that religion and lines and boundaries, create, have, they create spiritual blindness, hardness of heart. Uh, unteachability. They teach uh, judgment 
they, they, they promote these kinds of things. So they were looking for evidence now to convict the son of God, the lamb of God who had come for the very purpose of dying for them. And when he did die on the cross for them and they were still railing upon him and, and, and mocking him and scoffing at him and, and saying, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself, save yourself. Listen, he was there saving them while they were criticizing him for not saving himself. And so the true love of God is you can't listen to the lies of those who are, you know, you know, pointing their finger at you or, you know, you just got to know the truth yourself. You can't expect to get the truth from somebody who's a hypocrite, who's a liar, even though they proclaim or are self-proclaimed to be professionals or, or whatever they proclaim, you must go and it's, it's your relationship with God, with Jesus can become a dynamic, full of grace relationship that understands what time it is because the Holy Spirit always knows what time it is. And so, you know, people try to make this thing with God a little, uh, you know, a list of do's and don'ts. And you check it off every week. And I did all this and I'm not free for the week or I'm free for the hour. I can go do what I want. Um, you know, to, to not understand that the word of God is living and powerful and dynamic. And it's, it's not about, it's even not even about rules. You know, there's, there's, it's within us. God put his law within our heart. He said in Jeremiah, he said in the new Testament to, to love one another. If you, if that law is in your spirit, God's spirit bearing witness with your spirit, you will know that you know what you know and don't go with what you think. Don't go with what it feels like. Don't go with what it looks like. Don't go with what people are pressuring you to do or believe. Wait until you can settle down and know what your what God is saying. Because, um, uh, obviously, there is a time. There is a time to to when when this is correct. There's a time when that is correct, and they they seem to be contradictory. But in the in the will and walking in the way of God, the one that's right is the one that's right for that time. Right, and and in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses twenty eight to thirty one, it talks about uh, when you're preparing believers is preparing approaching the time of the Lord's supper or communion as we know it. Uh, that there's a time to examine ourselves. Right. It means to test or to prove or discern. Or let the Lord show or, you. Or separate, discern. It, it's a time for just just waiting before the Lord and just as it, you're quiet and letting the Lord show you, are there something, are there attitudes? Is there is there sin? Is there some attitude, there's some practice, something that really needs to go in your life? And that's a time to confess, forsake uh, that, Repent, change mind. It's a it's a time of regular examination. It's kind of like communion is kind of like when you go to the mirror, uh, you go to look at the mirror, you look at your face, it said, "Oh man, my hair is a mess. Right. I need to shave, or right. I got dirt on my face." Uh, all this, uh, so it, it's a time of examination, and I really mm-hmm. believe that that's that's the the job of the Holy Spirit to 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 as we quietly before the Lord. The Holy Spirit will bring things from, from from the Word of God, from the Scriptures to us, and it's a time to just ask God to to uh, to cleanse us. Well, I, can I say something about the mirror? That's really good because you know when you go to the mirror and you see the the speck, the, the blotch, the whatever on your face, you do something about it. You take action. You wash your face, or you pluck that stray hair, or whatever you do. You 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 do something about it. You don't go into a spirit of condemnation. You examine yourself and then you allow, um, you do something. You cho- make a choice to follow the direction of healing or uh, restoration. The mirror can't fix you. The mirror is like the law. You look into the law. It cannot fix you. You have, to, you have to agree with the Holy Spirit and take that action yourself. Well, 1 John chapter 1, verses um, eight, 8 through no, eight and 9, if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But here's, if we confess our sins, this is talking about doing something about it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So that's that's the time, and that's that's one of the times. Well, it's always time. It's the, this it's is always a, time it's ongoing. Because, because God has begun a Philippians work. 1, mm-hmm, 6, mm-hmm. He says he's has begun a good work and you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day Jesus Christ. Right. So it's an on 
going work. And it's he not, talks about work out your own salvation exactly. fear and tremble. Yeah. That doesn't mean we, we're saved by our works. But in other words, but it's God, God who is, works in he, you to will God and do. God mm-hmm. works in us to give us the willingness, to do. And, mm-hmm. the, the desire, and the ability uh, to do his good pleasure. And along with that, working out your own salvation is not a matter of comparing yourself to anyone else and trying to justify yourself based on how much better you are than them. And so really to get hung up on the magical uh, line, finding that invisible line that will make God happy, that doesn't even exist in the first place, that, um, that boundary or that balance that somehow when, once I discover that, I will take the guesswork out of my, my walk with Christ. It will become, uh, you know, uh, people say, well, how do I, what should I do? Um, the, uh, you know, take out the element of human error. Uh, you know what? We're going to make errors. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall down. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to learn from that. That's what God ordained, and that's why we can confess our sins. Not that we're going to go out and deliberately do them, but you and I are still going to be tricked. And Satan uses the things we love the most to trick us, to bait hook. And so if your desire is righteousness and holiness and the love of God and the word of God, he's going to use that to try to get you to become a judge or a, 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 a scru- one who scrutinizes the behavior of other, others when God says love them. Well, here's what Paul says. This is, this is really these verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. There's a tremendous freedom in here. It's it's a tremendous, um, it's it's awesome. At the same time, it it it's a it's a, a way of uh, living in a tremendous freedom. He says, "Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of of, of God." That means we're like we're like managers, servants, or stewards, managers mm-hmm. of the mysteries of God. Things truth that was hidden is now being revealed. We're bringing that forth. Verse two. Moreover, it is required in stewards one to be faithful. And then the focus here, verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. So he's saying, as far as your opinion of me, really doesn't matter much at all okay it's it's god's view of me that is the key thing here mm-hmm. i don't and he says i don't judge myself in a sense as far as i know i'm living a righteous life i'm being pleasing to the lord but i don't know all that about my own heart mm-hmm. god knows for sure and he says verse five therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, mm-hmm. who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. Amen. You know, we do not, uh, a lot of times we don't even know the counsels of our own hearts. Right. Uh, we don't yeah. even know exactly the counsels of the hearts of others. So this is why, yes, we need to be firm, we need to be wise, we need to be discerning, we need to speak truth and love. But only God knows the full picture mm-hmm. uh, of what's going on in my heart and in the hearts of others. So what we really need to do is walk in the Spirit and know the Word of God. Spend your time in the Word of God. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are leading us into all truth through your Spirit, through your Word, that is rightly divided through your, by your Spirit to us to understand that you give us peace, that the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy need to be the bottom line on what we, of, of our actions, of our choices, of our decisions, of how we behave, of our relationships, peace, righteousness, peace, and joy. And Father God, that we don't compare ourselves with others. We don't even judge our own self. We don't give that, that's not our privilege to judge ourselves. Your, your word says, you judge us, Lord. If our heart condemns us, you're greater than our heart and those all things. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon each one today and that you will give us peace righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit and rest in the dynamic life that you've given us, that you've caused us to walk in, in Jesus' name. And so God bless you guys. One more thing before you hang out, please send, go get on Twitter, tell your friends about us, Rescue Radio on Twitter, Life Recovery Inc., uh, or go to the website so that these broadcasts, if you think they're helpful to you, can be helpful to someone else and you can um, pass the good word on. Yes, it's also, you can go to True Light churchmn.org and uh, find out more about True Light Church. We meet in Dayton, Minnesota, 10 a.m. every Sunday. 
God bless you. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.